Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Hello, series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket, the the penultimate peril. Peril. Okay, do the strawberry. Do the strawberry. Is this all body? All right, peace, strawberry. Does anybody know what that means? Is this all body? All right. Book the 12th, chapter 11. An old expression used even before the schism says that people should not see the creation of laws or sausages. What? Just. Okay. This makes sense as the creation of sausages involves taking various parts of animals and shaping them until they are presentable at breakfast. And the certain creation of laws involves taking various parts of different ideas and shaping them until they are presentable at breakfast, and most people prefer to spend breakfast eating foods and reading the newspaper without being exposed to the creation of any sort whatsoever. The high court, like most courts, was not involved in the creation of laws, but it was involved in the interpretation of laws, which is as perplexing and unfathomable as their creation. Every time they say unfathomable, I think of Megamind, unfathomable, without fathom. Nah, we gotta watch it again. She doesn't know. She's looking at me like, what are you talking about? And the interpretation of its sausages and something that should also not be seen. If you were to put this book down and travel to the pond that now reflects nothing but a few burnt scraps of wood in the empty skies, you and if you were to find the hidden passageway that leads to the underwater catalog that has remained secret and safe for all these years... You could read on an account of an interpretations of sausages that that went horribly wrong and led to the destruction of a very important baby scalf. All because I don't know what that is. Baby scalf, baby scalf, baby. Okay, baby scalf. Can't don't know what that is. All because I mistakenly thought that the sausages were arranged in the shape of a K when the act when the waiter had actually been trying to make them into an R and on account of interpretation of the law that ho- went horribly wrong, although it would hardly be worth the trip as the account is is blah, 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 is also contained in the remaining chapters of this book. But if you were at all sensible, you would shield your eyes from such interpretations as they are too dreadful to read. As Violet, Klaus, and Sunny caught a few winks, a phrase here which means slept fully in the fully in the closet-sized room of 121. Arrangements were made for the trial during the three judges and the high courts that were interpreted of the, and that would interpret the laws and decide on the nobility and treachery of Count Olaf and the Baudelaire's. But the children were not were surprised to learn when a sharp knock on the door awakened them that they would not see this interpretation themselves. Here are your blindfolds, said one of the managers, opening the door and handing the children three pieces of black cloth. The Baudelaire's suspected that he was earnest as he had not bothered to say hello. 
Blindfolds, Violet said. Everyone wears blindfolds at high court trial, the manager yelled, replied. Except the judges, of course. Haven't you heard of the expression, justice is blind? Yes, Klaus said, but I always thought... I always thought it meant that the justice should be fair and unprejudiced. The verdict of the high court was to make the expression literally, said the manager, so that everyone except the judges must cover their eyes before the trial can begin. Scalia, Sunny said. She meant something like, it doesn't seem like like the literal interpretation makes any sense, but her siblings did not think it was wise to translate. I also brought... I also brought you some tea, he said, revealing a tray containing a teapot and three cups. I thought that it might fortify you on the trial. By fortify, the manager meant in a few sips of tea, it might give the children some much-needed strength for their ordeal, and the children thought that it must be Frank who was doing them such a favor. You're very kind, Violet said. I'm sorry that there's no sugar, he said. That's quite all right, Klaus said, and then hurriedly flipped to, to the page of the commonplace book. Yep. I was thinking that too, until he found his notes on the children's conversation with Kit Snicket. Tea should be bitter as wormwood, he read, as sharp as two edge, as sharp as a two-edged sword. The manager gave Klaus a small, unfathomable smile. Drink your tea, he said. I'll knock in a few minutes to bring you to trial. Frank, unless it was Ernest, shut the door and left the Baudelaire's alone. What? What did you say about that tea? Violet asked. Why did you say that about the tea, Violet asked? Well, I thought that he might be talking to us in code, Klaus said. I thought that if we gave the proper reply, something might happen. Unfathomable, Sunny said. Everything seems unfathomable, Violet said with a sigh, pouring tea for her siblings. It's getting it's getting so that I cannot tell a noble person from a wicked one. Kit said that this is the that the only way to tell a villain from a volunteer is to observe everyone and to make such judgments ourselves, Klaus said, but that hasn't helped at all. Today, the high court will do the judging for us, Violet said. Maybe they'll prove to be helpful or fail us, Sunny said. The eldest Baudelaire smiled and reached to help her sister put on her shoes. I wish her parents could see how much you've grown, she said. Mother always said that as soon as you learn to walk, Sunny, you'd be going places. I doubt a closet in the Hotel Dumont was what she had in mind, Klaus said, blowing his blowing on his tea to cool it. Who knew what they had in mind, Violet asked, and that's more that's one more mystery we'll probably never solve. Sunny took a sip of tea, which was indeed as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a two edged sword, although the youngest Baudelaire had a little expression with metallic weapons or or ori aromic plant aromatic plants of the of the composite family used in certain creations tonics creational tonics mama and papa she said hesitantly and poison darts her siblings did not have time to answer as there was another knock on the door finish your tea called either frank or ernest and put on your blindfolds the trial is about to start why does he want them to drink the tea so much can't tell me you can't tell me yeah okay the baudelaire's hurried Oh, okay. The Baudelaire's hurried to follow the instructions of either the volunteer or the villain and took a few sips of their tea and tied their shoes and wound their piece of cloth around their eyes. In a moment, they heard the door of 121 open and heard Frank or Ernest step towards them. Where are you? Where are you? He asked. We're right here, Violet said. Can't you see us? Of course not, the manager replied. I'm also wearing a blindfold. Reach for my hand and I'll, I'll lead you to the trial. Of her, 
in front of her, the eldest Baudelaire reached out in front of her and found a large, rough hand awaiting hers. Klaus took Violet's hand and Sonny took Klaus's hand. And in this way, the children were led out of room 121. The expression, the blind leading the blind, like the expression, justice is blind, is usually not taken literally, as it is simply refers to the confusing situation in which the people in charge know nothing more than the people fall about no more than the people following them. But as the Baudelaire's learned that they were led through the lobby, the blindfolded leading the blindfolded resulted in the same sort of confusion. The children could not see anything through their blindfolds, but the living room was filled with sounds of people looking for their companions, bumping up against one another and running into the walls of the furniture. Violet was poked in the eye by some someone's chubby finger. Klaus was mis- mistaken for somebody named Jerry by a man who gave him an enormous hug before learning of his mistake and someone bumped into Sunny's head assumed she was an ornamental vase and tried to place an umbrella in her mouth above the noise of the crowd the Baudelaire's heard the clock strike 12 instant wrongs and realized that they had been sleeping quite some time it was already Wednesday afternoon which meant that Thursday and the arrival of their noble friends and associates was quite close indeed attention the voice of Justice Strauss was also quite close indeed and rang over the crowd along with the re- repeating, repeated bang of the gravel. A word here which means refers to the small hammer used by, by the judges when they want someone's attention. Attention everyone, the trial is about to begin. Everyone please take your seats. How can we take our seats, a man asked, if we can't see them? Feel around with your hands, Justice Strauss said. Move to your right, further 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 ow that's not further the judge said there sit now the rest of you follow his lead how can we do what he did asked someone else if we can't see him can we peek asked another person no peeking justice strauss said sternly or our system justice of justice isn't perfect oh our system of justice isn't perfect but it's the really but it's the only one we have. I remind you that all three of the judges of the high court are bare-eyed, and if any one of you peek, we will become guilty of contempt of court. Contempt, contempt, by the way, is a word for finding someone worthless or dishonorable. I know the, I know what the word contempt means. Snarled a voice the children couldn't recognize. I define the word of I define the word for benefit of the. Ch- but, of the Baudelaire's, Justice Strauss said, and the children nodded with their, nodded their thanks in the direction of the judge's voice. Although the three siblings had known the meaning of contempt since that night, <sighs> a long time ago when Uncle Monty had taken them to the movies, Baudelaire's, please take three steps to your right. Three more, one more. There, you've reached your bench. Now please sit down. The Baudelaire sat down on one of the lobby wooden benches and listened to the footsteps of the managers as he left them alone and stumbled back into into the settling crowd. Finally, it sounded as if somebody had found a seat of some kind or another, and with another few bangs of the gravel and calls for attention, the crowd quieted down and Justice Strauss began the trial. "'Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen,' she said, her voice coming up from right in front of the Baudelaire's. And anyone who ha- anyone else who happens to be in attendance, it has come to my attention of the high court that it is certain that 
certain wicked deeds have gone unpunished and that this wickedness is continuing at an alarming rate. We plan to hold a trial on Thursday, but after the death of Mr. Denouman, this is clear that we should proceed earlier in the interest of justice and nobility. We will hear what each witness has to say and determine once and for all who is responsible. The guilty party will be turned over to the authorities who are waiting outside. Make sure that no one will try to escape to make sure that no one will try to escape while the trials are in process. And speaking of guilty parties, Count Olaf added, when the trial is over, everyone is invited to a very a very in cocktail party hosted by me. Wealthy women are particularly welcome. Oh, this guy's a bum. Huh. I'm hosting it, snarled, snarled a voice of Esme Squalor. The fashionable men will be given a free gift. All gifts are free, said either Frank or Ernest. You're out of order, Justice Strauss said sternly, banging her gravel. We are discussing a social justice, not social engages. In engagements. Now then, we will, will, will the accused parties please stand and state their names and occupations for the record? The Baudelaire stood hesitantly. You too, Count Olaf, Justice Strauss said firmly. The wooden bench cracked beside the Baudelaire's and they realized that the notorious villain had also been standing on the bench. Oh, sitting on the bench and was now standing beside them. Name? Justice, uh, the judge asked. Count Olaf, Count Olaf replied. Occupation? Impresario, he said, using a fancy word for someone who puts on theatrical spectacles. Anne, are you innocent or guilty? asked Justice Strauss. The three children thought they could hear Olaf's filthy teeth slide against his lip as he smiled. I'm unspeakably innocent, he said, murmuring, murmuring spread through the crowd like a ripple on the surface of a pond. You may be seated, Justice Strauss said, banging her gravel. Children, you are next. Please state your names. Violet Baudelaire, Violet Baudelaire said. Klaus Baudelaire, said Klaus Baudelaire. Sunny Baudelaire, said Sunny Baudelaire. The three children, oh, the children heard scratching of a pen and realized that the judge was writing down everything that was being said. Occupations? The Baudelaires did not know how to answer this. The word occupation, I'm sure as you know, refers to a job, but the Baudelaires employment was sporadic a word here which means considering a great number of occupations held for a short period of time and was very unusual circumstances the word can also refer to how one spends at one's time but the siblings hardly liked to link all of the dreadful things that had occupied them recently lastly the word occupation can refer to the state of one is in such as being a woman's husband or a child's guardian but the youngsters were not certain how how such a term could be applied to the bewildering story history of their lives the baudelaires thought and thought and finally gave gave their answers as they saw fit volunteer violet said concierge klaus said child sunny said i object olaf said beside them their proper occupation is orphan or inheritor of a large fortune your objection is noted, Justice Strauss said firmly. Now then, Baudelaire's, are you guilty or innocent? Once again, the Baudelaire's hesitated before answering. Justice Strauss had not made the children precise, had not asked the children precisely what they were innocent or guilty of, and the expectant hush of the lobby did not make them want to ask the judge to clarify the question. In general, of course, the Baudelaire ch children believed themselves to be innocent, although they were certainly guilty 
as we all are, of certain deeds that are anything but noble. But the Baudelaire's were not standing in general. They were standing next to Count Olaf. It was Klaus who had found the words to, com- to compare the sibling's innocent and guilt with the innocence and the guilt of a man who said he was unspeakably innocent. And after a pause, the middle Baudelaire answered the judge's question. We are comparatively innocent, he said, and a ripple went through the crowd. The children's the children heard scratching of Justice Strauss's pen again and the sound of Geraldine's Julian's enthusiastic voice. I can see the headlines now, she cried. Everybody is innocent. Wait until the readers of the Daily Punctilio see that. Nobody is innocent, Justice Strauss said, banging her gravel. At least not yet. Now then, all of those in the courtroom who have evidence that they would like to submit to the court, please approach the judge and do so. The room interrupted into pandemonium, into a pandemonium, oh no, into pandemonium, a word here which means a crowd of blindfolded people attempting to give evidence to three judges. But the Baudelaire sat on the bench and heard people stumbling all over the place as they tried to submit their research to the high court. I submit these newspaper articles and announce, announce the voice of Geraldine Julian. I submit employment records, announced Sir. I submit these environmental studies, announced Charles. I submit these grade books, announced Mr. Romera. I submit these blueprints of the banks, announced Mr. Mrs. Bass. Base. Bass? Base? Oh, whatever. I submit these administrative, administrative records, announced Vice Principal Nero. I submit these paperworks, announced Hal. I submit the financial records, announced Mr. Poe. I submit these rule books, announced Mr. Lesko. I submit these constitutions, announced Mrs. Morrow. I submit these carnival posters, announced Hugo. I submit these anatomical drawings, announced Colette. I submit these books, announced Kevin, with my left foot and right hand. I submit the ruby-encrusted blank pages, announced Esme Squalor. I submit this book about how wonderful I am, announced Carmelita Spatz. I submit this commonplace book, announced either Frank or Ernest. So do I, announced the other Ernest or Frank. I submit my mother. The last of the voice was the first in the parade of voices, but the Baudelaire's could not recognize it. It seemed that everyone in the lobby had something to submit to the high court, and the Baudelaire's felt as if they were in the middle of an avalanche of observations, research, and other evidence in which someone had exculpatory, exculpatory, okay, a word here which means likely to prove that the Baudelaire's were innocent, and some of which sounded damning, some of which sounded damning, a word here which made the children shudder to think of it. I submit these photographs. I submit these hospital records. I submit these magazine articles. I submit these telegrams. I submit these couplets. I submit these maps. I submit these cookbooks. I submit these scraps of paper papers. I submit these screenplays. I submit these rhyming dictionaries. I submit these love letters. I submit these opera synopsis. Sipno- oh my god. Synopsises. I submit these this the story. I submit this marriage license. I submit these Talmudic commentaries. I submit these wills and testaments. I submit these auction catalogues. I submit these code books. I submit these mycological mycological encyclopedias. I submit these menus. 
I submit these fairy schedules. I submit these theatrical programs. I submit these business cards. I submit these memos. I submit these novels. I submit these cookies. Ugh. Hui. I submit these assorted pieces of evidence that I'm willing to categorize. Finally, the Baudelaire's heard a mighty thump and the triumphant voice of Geraldine Squalor, er, no, Jerome, Jerome Squalor. I submit this comprehensive history of injustice, he announced, and the lobby filled with the sound of applause and hissing as the volunteers and villains reacted. Justice Strauss had to bang her gravel quite a few times before the crowd settled down. Before the high count reviewed reviews his evidence, the judge said, we ask each other, we ask each accused person to give a statement explaining their actions. You can take as long as you want to tell your story, but you should leave. You should leave nothing important. You should leave out nothing important. Count Olaf, you may go first. The wooden bench cracked against the villain as he stood up and the Baudelaire's heard Count Olaf and smelled his foul breath. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, I'm so incredibly innocent that the word innocent ought to be written on my face in capital letters. These letters I would stand for I'm innocent and the letter N would stand for nothing wrong, which would which is what I've done. And the letter A would stand for, that's not how you spell innocent, Justice Sprouse interrupted. I don't think spelling counts, Count Olaf grumbled. Spelling counts, the judges said sternly. Well, innocent should be spelled O-L-A-F, Count Olaf said, and that's the end of my speech. The bench cracked as, as Olaf sat down. That's all you have to say, Justice Strauss said in a surprise. Yep, Count Olaf said. I told you to leave nothing important out, the judge reminded him. The only important thing, Count Olaf insisted, is that I am very innocent. And I am sure that there's more enormous piles of evidence that proves my proves me innocent than there is that proves me guilty. Well, all right, the judge said uncertainly. Baudelaire's, you may tell us your side of the story. The Baudelaire stood up unsteadily, their legs trembling in nervous anticipation, but once again they did not quite know what to say. Go on, Justice Strauss said kindly. We're listening. The Baudelaire orphans clasped their hands, although they had just been notified about the trial a few hours ago. The children felt as if they had been waiting forever to stand and tell their story to anyone who might listen. Although much of their story had been told to Mr. Poe and note and noted in Klaus's commonplace book and discussed with quagmire triplets and other mobile people that they had met during their travels, they had not ever had the opportunity to tell their entire tale from the dreadful day at Briny Beach when Mr. Poe gave them the horrible news about their parents to this very afternoon as they stood at the high court hoping that the villains in their lives would, would be the last brought to justice or would at last be brought to justice. Perhaps there had never been enough time to sit and tell the story as they wanted to tell it, or perhaps their story was so unhappy that they dared not share all of that wretched detail with anyone, or perhaps the Baudelaire's had simply not encountered anyone who listened to them as well as their parents had. As the siblings stood up before the high court, they could picture the faces of the mother and father and the expressions that they had wore on war when listening to their children on occasion all of the Baudelaire's would be telling their parents a story and there would be an interruption of some kind the ringing 
of the phone or the loud noise of a siren outside or even a remark from one of the other other siblings hush the baudelaire's hush the baudelaire parents would say to the interruption it's not your day in court <laughs> and they would say that and then they would run then they would turn back to the baudelaire who was talking and give them a nod to indicate that the story should continue the children stood together as the wooden benches creaked behind them and they st- they and they started to tell the story of their lives a story that had that they had waited their lives to tell well violet said one afternoon my siblings and i were at briny beach i was dreaming of up an invention that could retrieve a rock after you skipped it into the ocean klaus was examining a creature in the tide pools and sunny noticed that mr poe was walking towards us hmm justice strauss said but it wasn't a thoughtful kind of hmm thought Violet thought that perhaps the judge was saying hmm in the way that she said hmm to either Frank or Ornus as a safe answer. Go on, a low, deep voice said that belonged to one of the other judges. Justice Strauss was merely being thoughtful. Mr. Poe told us Mr. Poe told us that there had been a terrible fire, and Klaus Klaus continued, Honor our home was destroyed and our parents were gone. Hmm, Mr. Justice Strauss said again, but it wasn't a sympathetic kind of hmm. Klaus thought maybe perhaps the judge was taking a sip of her tea to fortify herself as the siblings told their story. Please continue, said another voice. This was one of this one was very hoarse, as if the third judge had been screaming for hours as and they could hardly talk. Justice Strauss was just merely being sympathetic. Builder Smog Morag, said Sunny said, she meant something along the lines of since that moment our our story has been long and dreadful education of <clears throat> of the wickedness and the ways the world and the mysterious secrets hidden in all of the corners. But before her siblings could translate, Justice Strauss just uttered another hmm. And this was the strangest hmm of all. It was not a thoughtful hmm, nor did it sound like a safe answer or certainly wasn't a sympathetic or the noise might have sounded something, might make well something is sipping a tea. Sunny to Sunny, the hmm sounded more like a noise she'd heard a long time ago, not long after on Briny Beach, where the children had described their youngest Baudelaire had heard the same noise coming from her own mouth when she was dangling around outside of Count Olaf's tower room in the birdcage, with the piece of paper covering her mouth, and Sunny gasped to recognize that Sunny gasped, recognizing the sound as just Klaus had recognized the voice on the second judge and Violet recognized the voice of the third. Blindly, the Baudelaire's reached out their hands to clutch each other in panic. What should we do, Violet whispered as quietly as possible. Peek, Sunny whispered back. If we peek, Klaus said, we'll be guilty of contempt of court. What are you waiting for, orphans? Asked the low, deep voice. Yes, said the hoarse one. Continue your story. But the Baudelaire orphans knew that they could no longer continue their story, no matter how long they had been waiting to tell it. At the sound of those familiar voices, they had no choice but to remove their blindfolds. The children did not care if they were guilty of contempt in court, because they knew that if the other two judges were who they thought that they were, then the high court was indeed something that they found worthless and dishonorable. And with so many other further decisions, they unwound their piece of black cloth that covered their eyes and the Baudelaire orphans peeked. It was shocking and upsetting to peek that uh, the peak that awaited the Baudelaire's squinting 
In the sudden light, they peeked straight ahead where the Justice Strauss and the other judges had come from. The children found themselves peeking at the concierge desk, which was piled all the way up with evidence that the crowd had submitted, including newspaper articles, employment records, environmental studies, grade books, blueprints of banks, administrative records, paperwork, financial records, rule books, constituations, carnival posters, anatomical drawings, books, ruby encrusted blank pages, a book a book alleging how wonderful Carmelita Spatz was, commonplace books, photographs, hospital records, magazine articles, telegrams, couplets, maps, cook maps, cookbooks, scraps of paper, screenplays, rhyming dictionaries, love letters, opera synopsises, the sorry, marriage licenses, Talmudic commentaries, I don't know what that word is, wills and testaments, auctions and ca- auction catalogs, code books, mycological encyclopedias, menus, fairy schedules, theatrical programs, pieces of evidence of certain person unwilling to categorize, categorize and someone's mother and, and someone's mother, all of which Dewey Denouement had been hoping to catalog. Missing from the desk, however, was Justice Strauss, and as the eldest Baudelaire peeked around the lobby, they saw another person was missing too, for there was no one in the wooden bench, only a few etched rings from people wicked enough to, to settle down a glass people wicked enough to set down a glass without using coasters. Frantically, they peeked they peeked through the blindfold they peeked through the blindfolded crowd that was waiting impatiently for the con- for them to continue their story and then they finally spotted the Count Olaf at the far side of the room. Justice Strauss was there too, tucked in the crooked crooks of Olaf's arms in the way you might carry an umbrella if both of your hands were full. Neither Count Olaf's filthy hands were full, but they were both otherwise engaged. A phrase here which means that one hand was covering Justice Strauss's mouth <clears throat> with tape so that she could only say mm-hmm, and the other one hur- was hurriedly pressing the button questioning an elevator, requesting an elevator. The harpoon gun with its last hook gleaming wickedly as it leaned against the wall with an easy reach of the treacherous villain. All of this was shocking and upsetting. An upsetting peak, of course, but even more shocking and upsetting was what the children saw when they returned their gaze to the concierge desk. For, sitting at the other end, their elbows on a pile of evidence were two villains at whom the children, who had hoped very much that they would never get a peek of again, the villains such wickedness it was too far shocking and upsetting for me to write down their names. I can only describe them as the man with a beard but no hair, and the woman with no hair but with hair but no beard. But to the Baudelaire orphans, these two villainous judges were just another peek at the wicked way of the world. Bum bum bum. And Peyton is asleep, mouth open, and everything. She's gonna kill me for saying that. <laughs>